Listeners are advised, this podcast contains spoilers. Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcasts. Welcome to the Protestant Tales, the one and only podcast devoted to the Toniston Tales. I'm your host and author, Aaron Ware, and I'll start off, as usual, by saying I am sorry that you had to listen to that awful theme. I tried my best. Uh, so, anyways, we're going to get into Chapter 3 of this episode, which I believe will be the last episode of our launch day activities. There won't be another episode until the 17th, so that's a whole four days away. I don't know how you can wait. Uh, I don't know how I can wait. You know, all this recording and editing and recording and editing and recording and editing. It's fun. Anyway, so it's a little bit early in the morning here, and you may hear birds or cars or neighbours or toilets or something in the background. I'm not sure. Let's hope not. I'm recording this not long after recording episode two, and I thought with the character that I need to voice in this chapter, I thought perhaps my voice will be nice and croaky. I don't think there's anything I really need to round up. I have eaten, so my stomach is not going to be growling at me. Let's get on with chapter three then. Let's have our tinkle of music. The Toniston Tales by Aaron Ware. Chapter 3, Arrival. To sum up, Cubpaw's day would probably give you as much of a headache just to listen as Cubpaw has from going through it. From waking up with half of his ceiling on top of his head, some clumsy fool attempting to fly over, no doubt, to almost falling into a light hole upon uncovering said hole, and nobody wants to fall down a light hole. Oh, and then he had to go and break his favourite plate during lunch, didn't he? And to top it off, whilst bending down to pick up said broken plate pieces from underneath his makeshift bench, he ripped four stitches. Ouch. Anything and everything that one would expect could go wrong today did. That is, of course, until the unexpected falls into the strange creature's proverbial lap. Bush. An explosion of hay startles Kapoor as he lays back in his steaming hot saltwater bathtub. He slips as he sits up, splashing scalding hot water onto his beak in the process. Once he has regained his balance, he uses his strongest arm to lift himself up to the small, round, glassless window. How in? The scattered remains of his former hay bale lay strewn across his yard. But hay bales don't just spontaneously combust. Or do they? He can't help but think to himself. Leaping out of the tub, Kapoor slinks out of his steam room, down the dusty stone corridor, and out through a poorly made wooden door. It stays open as he exits. The bright golden light outside stings his eyes for a moment as he walks on all fours around to the side of his cottage. 
water dripping from his furry body and leaving muddy prints in his wake. He spots the two surviving hay bales first. They don't seem to be smoking, not at all ready to explode, but the third has. He moves closer into the mess of hay. It bends and snaps with a crackle and pop under his hefty weight. It's certainly dry enough to go up in flames. Where's the fire? The creature ponders to himself as he begins to collect random bits of hay, tossing it back onto the human laying among the rubble. The what? A human? All the way out here? He can't help but proclaim out loud to nobody in particular, his voice echoing across the field. The strange creature moves towards the human, careful not to wake it. He'd heard stories from local dogs and cats about the results of waking their former human owners. The outcome was never pretty. Are you dead? Kapoor innocently asks, not realising his faux pas. He moves closer, putting his hairy paw over its cracked dry lips, feeling for air. It's alive. The human's orange hair looks fiery in the golden light illuminating the dry, dusty plains. I guess I found the fire. The strange creature called Kapoor can't help but think to himself, followed by his endearing chuckle. And then he counts the freckles on the human's cheeks, for no particular reason. Seven. Four on the left, three on the right. He stands there thinking for a moment, his scaly, taloned right foot rapidly tapping the ground. The dusty, lavender-coloured dirt puffs up, causing little rhythmic dust clouds. He has but only one choice. It'll be night soon. He'll have to remove the human and fix the haystack. And, without a second thought, in case common sense talks him out of it, he leaps into his mammoth task. First, the human. Will it break? Will it wake up? Should I get some help? No, I can't. Not enough time. We'd be blinded before we'd returned. He leans down, placing his large, muscular, brown-furred right arm under the human's neck, his paw resting on the back of the fiery orange hair. The other arm, a long, thin, scaly limb, is slipped behind the human's knees. And as if lifting a bag of air-filled balloons, Kapoor raises the boy we know as Toniston out of the destroyed bale of hay. Polly Princeton stands over Toniston Turnbull as the bully lay on his back, his buttocks hurting from the small blonde girl's kick. She leans in, her face scrunched up as Toniston's normally would be in the schoolyard. And then she blows a raspberry. Spittle lands on the ten-year-old randomly around his face and ears. He tries to wipe it away, but it won't go. In fact, it grossly grows larger upon impact. That's what you get for picking on me, bully, Polly says, smiling widely and viciously in his face. Toniston twists to the left to lift himself up, but several other students he doesn't recognise are standing beside him, joining in Polly's laughter. He turns to the other side, hoping for a reprieve. Same deal. Indistinguishable children all around him, no doubt former or current victims of his bullying prowess. But only Polly is clear. The others have no face. Toniston shouts for them to back off. One faceless child pelts him with rocks. Then they all pelt him with rocks. He moans in agony, despite there being no feeling in his body. Polly howls with laughter. Toniston screams as he sits up, sweat pouring down his face. His bedroom is dark. He leans over, reaching for his lamp. Where's that bloody thing? He swears to himself. But there is no lamp. Oh good, you're awake. Been three days. Need some light? Tina Turnbull asks her son with a gruff, scratchy voice. She lights a match, placing it into an old-fashioned lantern. Toniston's eyes are fixed on the lamp. The flame seems brighter than normal. 
He looks up at his mother. Ah, what in God's name? He screams again, this time with added squeal. Kapoor leaps back in fear at the boy's screeching response, tripping over a round wooden barrel in the process. The creature stumbles to its feet, leaning forward onto the bed for help. Toniston glares in fear at the creature's hairy arm and the scaly arm, then up at the face of a bird. He screams again, rushing backwards against the cold wall. Please don't eat me! He shouts while leaping to his feet and brandishing his fists, ready for a ripe knuckle jamming. He looks down at the pathetic creature. It's now smiling a strange beaky smile, one that Toniston might give a good cheeseburger. Eat you! It chuckles at the thought. Yeah, I'm no good to eat. Well, that's obvious. You are not at all my taste in meal, but others around here, I tells ya. Well, that's another story, so you might want to keep your voice down. Here, come with me. The creature puts out its scaly arm, the long sharp fingers laid out for the human to grab hold of, but Toniston does not. I mean, would you? Instead, the wildlife warrior looks at the hand in disgust, then back up at the creature, who suddenly realises, then swaps arms, holding out the furry brown arm instead. That's not any better! Toniston freaks out with a high-pitched crackle in his voice. The creature called Kabor quietly chuckles before turning around and exiting the room, taking the lantern with him. Wait, don't leave me in here by myself in the bloody dark! Suit yourself, the beast replies from another room. Several seconds, that feel like minutes, pass before Toniston leaps off the bed, regrettably, for every bone in his body seems to shatter as he lands. He feels broken, having never felt so awful in his short life. One might say he feels not unlike Polly Princeton after he's piffed her into the school's manky dumpster. He hesitates for a moment, scuffing his feet on what seems to be a wooden floor. It splinters under his feet, but he can't quite tell if it's wood or something more sinister. Ouch, he mutters to himself, then resorts to following the creature. Unaware of his surroundings in the pitch-black darkness, Toniston follows the small light emanating from the end of a rather wide hallway with warm, stone-like flooring. He takes one careful step at a time. The journey seems to last forever. He enters a large room with a triangular table in the centre. Already seated at the table is the creature, the lamp on the table in front of it. It looks scarier with the light pulsating from underneath, much like how his father used to tell him scary stories around the campfire. But this is most certainly not his father, and you can only imagine how desperately the boy wishes he were with him at this very moment. Toniston stands in the doorway, not daring to enter. Take a seat, what shall your name be? The beast asks the bully. But Toniston doesn't answer. Something has caught his eye. Stitches. Hundreds of crudely sewn stitches are connecting the creature's body parts as if it were built by Victor Frankenstein himself. A stampede of questions storm through Toniston's brain loudly, but he can't seem to latch onto any in order to pick the right one. He notices a lion's tail waving behind the beast almost hypnotically. Back and forth. Back and forth. The creature speaks again. A little shy, are we? Not to worry, I won't bite. It chuckles. But Toniston doesn't respond right away. The questions swirling around his brain make him feel dizzy. Although... At least, they distract him from the pain pulsating through his entire body. W where am I? 
He manages to muster a shaky, if terrified, stutter. Denanvali, the bird states matter-of-factly. Dena what? You're kidding, right? The human almost goes cross-eyed. The creature chuckles. Toniston scrunches up his face. Forgive me, I've never met a human before, so I must ask, are you a boy or a girl? Toniston tries his hardest not to look or sound offended. A boy, last I checked. He looks down gloomily. The creature chuckles again. Toniston takes one step closer to the table. Who are you? I mean, what are you? He asks the pitiful-looking mashup. I am Cubpaw, sir. Farmer of grains for the greater Domesticosia area. The creature announces while standing up and bowing. Uh, yeah, you're gonna have to write that down. Toniston says, unable to mask the confusion covering his entire square face. It seems you've had a bit of a fall. Landed on one of my haystacks, I tells ya. Made a right mess. The bird's feathers fluff up in a huff. The pain in Toniston's body leaps forward like an overzealous musical theatre student, stealing the spotlight from its more talented co-stars, upstaging any questions the boy has floating around his mind. He takes another step closer to the table. The pain of 30,000 knives stabbing the nerves up his leg almost makes his knees give way. Are you okay? You look quite ill, the creature asks, turning its off-white, roundish head to the side while surveying Toniston. Here, I'll help. It stands up, but Toniston quickly snaps, mostly out of fear of the unknown. It's fine, I can do it myself. He quickly stumbles to the empty chair, opposite the creature called Cuphaw. Toniston stares at it for a moment. A long moment. Completely understanding, Cuphaw simply smiles, surveying the human right back. Its hands slash paws clasp together on the table. I am sure you have a million questions. What are you? Toniston asks abruptly, but curiously. I told you, a farmer. Sir Cubpaw smiles. No, I mean, what are you? I've never seen anything like you in any book other than Frankenstein. Franken who? It's an old book, a horror novel. Well, I highly doubt you would ever find me in any book. Humans don't often just visit Denanvali. Well, I guess visiting isn't the right word now, is it? Where exactly are we? Take a look, the creature says, pointing to a window with thick animal hide curtains. Toniston clutches the table as he stands, the pain still throbbing. The bird notices. Do you need a hand? Toniston realises Cubpaw is trying to be friendly in asking, but can't control the snappiness in his voice. Don't touch me. An unfamiliar sensation washes over the human as he sees the bird's friendly smile quickly fade. He's used to that face crack. Heck, he thrives off that face crack, but on humans, never animals. And then, as quickly as it came, his inner stubborn brute punches the sensation away, as if it never existed. Kapoor realises the boy is in a lot of pain. Travelling such a great distance surely must take a toll on one's body. I mean, look at mine, the creature thinks to himself, brushing off the boy's rudeness. Toniston limps over to the wall, using his less painful left arm to pull back the leathery makeshift curtain. Expecting to find glass, he's surprised there is none, nor is there much light outside. Immediately below the window is a field of tall wheat grass, but looking beyond that causes Toniston to gasp in shock. Sporadic white spotlights scattered around flat desert-like plains pierce the dark night in the distance, reaching up to the navy blue abyss. He looks up to the sky, searching for the moon. It can't be seen from this side of the cottage, nor any stars for that matter. And as he turns around, 
about to guess he's in the middle of the Australian outback when something catches his eye in the sky. Well, more specifically, the sky itself catches his gaze. He tilts his head and squints, just to be sure. It's moving. He leans into the pain-free window, looking up. It most certainly does, in fact, seem that the sky is moving. Toniston whips around on his bare heels. Are we on another planet? At which the creature chuckles. No, no, take a closer look. Kalpur raises his scaly arm, pointing past Toniston to the window. Toniston inspects the sky yet again. His heart begins to rapidly beat, clearly trying to thump its way through his ribcage. It's not moving. That's... Waves? Are we under the sea? At the bottom of the ocean? Toniston can't hold back his excitement, despite the agonising pain. Kalpur moves towards Toniston, who doesn't flinch or fear the creature as much now that it has a name. Well, sort of. We are on the inner core. Inner core? Yes, of the earth. You live on the outer core. I die on the inner core, well, so to speak. The animal hybrid gives the boy a glum smile with its deep orange beak. You're dead? Is that why you look like that? Toniston's throat crackles again. It's dry and scratchy. The creature called Cupboard takes a step back, looking down at his stitched up body. Apparently so, but at least I'm pretty, I tells ya. It gives a rather awkward curtsy, one which makes Toniston relax a bit, at least enough to laugh at this joke. Not that Kapoor is joking. Are you a ghost? A zombie? You're not a zombie, are you? Zombie? What in the name of Hodor is that? It's a person that's come back from the dead. No, no, sir. I am a twanimal, an animal that has come back from the dead, as you say. A what in the who now? The rasp in the boy's voice now more apparent. A twanimal, I tells you. Never mind that. You sound parched. Oh, I am. Do you have some water? Toniston asks, rubbing his throat. It feels dry and dirty, clearly unwashed. Though that's nothing new, of course. But this feels dirtier. Right with you, sir. Kapoor turns on his scaly lime-green feet, clearly belonging to a chameleon or a gecko, and moves over to a bench lining the opposite wall. The wooden surface looks terribly short compared to the seven-foot creature, more appropriate for somebody of Toniston's height. The bird flicks an old-fashioned pump-tap, the pipes grown within the walls. So, what's a twanimal? It's, well... How do I put this? I happen to be a combination of animals who all died at the same time, I think. Jumbled together by unknown forces, reassembled and sent to live here with the rest of my kind. At least that's how Mr. Nilch taught us. There's more of you? Indeed, millions. Maybe even billions, in fact, sir. Do they all look like you? Oh, thanks. Toniston has never appreciated fresh cold tap water more than in this moment, as Kapoor hands him an old rusty mug. I think you will find that no two twanimals are the same, but Kapoor is cut off. Toniston, having just taken a large gulp of water, interrupts the twanimal by spitting the mouthful immediately back out. Salt water! He wipes his mouth of remaining liquid. Well, you're on the centre of the earth. If you want fresh water, we'd have to travel into town for that, and it does not come cheap. There are towns here? Toniston can't help but sound bewildered. Of course there are, but we'll have to wait until daytime to visit, I tells you. Would you care for some melon instead? Oh, yes, please. Tonneson sits staring at the lamp's now brighter flame, with at least 9,996 questions still whirling through his brain. But he can't seem to focus on any of the head voices. They all sound whiny. 
Kalpur stands with his back turned to his guest, chopping away at rather large, loudly squishy, bread-loaf-shaped melons. Toniston focuses in on the orange light dancing on the stone table. It creates fish-like shapes. Some of them look like upside-down fish. The koi. But... What if... Oh no... The unrefreshing feeling of a sudden regrettable thought, likened only to somebody pouring ice-cold water down one's back without the fun and frivolity that ensues during a water fight. Fish can't swim backwards, can they? Toniston hangs his head. I... I think I killed a fish. Is that why I'm here? Cuphaw suddenly stops chopping, but doesn't turn around. Did, did you laugh when you... Were you happy about it? Oh gosh, no, no way. I love animals. It was an accident. I was twirling my finger in the koi's water. Honestly, I didn't mean to. But you were laughing. The bird doesn't smile for a change. Toniston keeps his head hung in shame as he answers. Yes. He looks up again, finding Kapoor suddenly standing on the opposite side of the table with a tray of melons in his furry arm. Well, that explains how you got here. One thing I do know is that when a human kills an animal, whilst enjoying that moment, far too eagers for their own good, then the animal is sent through a tunnel of light, where they are rearranged into twonimal form and sent here. That doesn't really explain how I got here, though. Of course it does, I tell you. The portal is not only designed to resurrect dead animals, it is supposed to trap the merge. I mean, the culprit. Did you stay close to the deceased? The same spot? Yes, but but I didn't know it was dead. Polycosh, you just said it was. The creature cushes, rather confused. I put two and two together. The only other animals with me were one of my cats and my dog, and I hadn't been playing with either of them right before I went to sleep. Honestly, I didn't mean to. The fish kept tickling my finger. It made me laugh. The pain in Toniston's body suddenly fades as the heartache of missing his pets leaps to the forefront for a moment in the sun. Well, okay, that makes sense. You're a smart sir. Must have done well at school. Not really. I hate school. You what? Too many people, not enough animals. He shrugs. Cuphaw chuckles as he takes a seat, moving the tray closer to Toniston, who suddenly remembers it's there. Oh, thank you. He picks up a piece of chopped melon, surveying its damp texture. The outside skin feels almost gravelly, but the inside looks like squishy honeycomb. Well, here goes. He bites into the squishy area, a large wet bite. Mud melon is my favourite, Cuphaw innocently admits, causing the human's eyes to light up with disgust. The brown melon comes flying out of his mouth right at Cuphaw, who was not expecting to be showered in melon or salt water today. Well, if I'd known it was going to rain, I would have waited to have my bath. The Twanimal stands up smiling. Never mind, I shall get you, but Toniston cuts him off. Now that the shock of the name has dissipated, the aftertaste is sinking in. Chocolate? It tastes like pineapple-flavoured chocolate. He takes another bite, the watery mouthful instantly wetting his whistle unlike anything he has eaten before. He scoffs another piece down. This is good. Oh, real good. Well, I'm glad you like it, because I am all out. We shall pick up some from market tomorrow. We? Well, I could not leave you here on your own, could I? I barely know you, I tell ya. Not to mention the fact you would make a rather tasty snack for any vile factions that may catch your scent. Kapoor stands up again, taking the flickering lantern with him. 
Toniston finishes the last piece of the wrongly named Mudmelon, wiping his fingers on his green, flaming wildebeest skull-designed pyjama top in the process. Right, it's almost daybreak. Want to help me with the light holes? But I still have so many questions. Toniston is surprised and uncomfortable to find himself sounding whiny. He sinks down in his seat a little, almost embarrassed in himself. Thankfully, Cubport doesn't seem to notice. We can whistle while we work, or can humans not do two things at once? Cubport has vague memories of humans, and instinct tells him the answer to his own question is a resounding no. So, without waiting for a response, the farmer leaves the room, taking the lantern with him. Toniston sits by himself for a moment, pondering at the speed of a Polly Princeton if he should follow, among other things. I should help it, him, but I really could use some more sleep. But in a proper bed, not some stupid pile of hay. I wonder how worried mum is. Wouldn't it be so much better if I slept with my shoes on? I wonder if they have toilets here or just litter boxes. It's probably waiting for me. Ouch, this seat's digging into my back. I better go. Are you coming? The twanimal named Cubhorse shouts from another room. All right, all right, don't get your bake in a bind. The boy replies as he stands, then exits the dark, oblong-shaped kitchen, the pain in his body now seemingly numb. Okay, so that was chapter three. Arrival, named after the Denis Villeneuve movie, with, um, did I just say movie? It's a movie. I just said movie, so that's going to be on record forever. Just uh, upon reading that, there was one, one bit where Cubpaw says, Farmer, I couldn't say it. it. It kept coming up as an Australian accent, trying to say it as Cubpaw. Like, and he's got it, because I'm a farmer. I just did it then. But before it was like, farmer. I'm like, fucking hell. I just couldn't do it. It took me... Time and time again, in, or maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating, I don't know, it just it seemed like it was time and time again at the time, I'll have to uh, go back and have a listen after I do my commentary. So, what do we have to unpack there? A hell of a lot. Toniston has landed in Denanvali, and as we uh, learnt, it's on the inner core, so underneath us. Twanimals, obviously. Twanimals were really the, the seed of this whole series because I've never admitted this to anybody. There was something in Harry Potter which really resonated with me and that was Horcruxes in that how they were made. That you didn't make one just by killing, you made one by truly meaning your death or your, your when you murder someone, like truly meaning it and all that. And that got me thinking that that was sort of like a stigma so what if there is a stigma to these bastards who hurt animals? And voila, Denanvali was born. Twanimals were born. Toniston was born. So you can see how coming from such a dark idea, obviously, well, personally, I, you know, obviously I'm against hurting animals. So you can accuse me of putting my politics in this book. Shut up, I have not. Um, but it is a dark subject. It's death. It's murder, it's cruelty to animals, that's very, very dark. Whilst it's set up as a punishment to people who do that, the hero that goes through that needs to understand death. They need to be able to handle it. 
I know that's something that was actually in Harry Potter with the Thestrals. However, this was more my motivation for making Toniston a bully, to making making him tough, uh, having him go through his father's death, and just being a no-nonsense type of character. Because I think if you were to have... And I don't know, because this is not a real place, so we can't just throw someone in there to try it, can we? We can't do a social experiment. Let's not. Let's not even think about it. I could write a story, but again, that would be my interpretation of it. I could write different stories of, of good people ending up there. Anyways, the point is that he needed to be someone who could handle this. Plain and simply, Harry Potter was a wuss. I love the books. The books are great. Remain zip on anything else to do with that topic. But the books themselves, fantastic. Love them. So yeah, that was where the inspiration came from. It's from Horcruxes. Okay, and oh, we had a little dream sequence in that with Polly getting her own back. Which I thought, you know, the audience might like to see. That's a bit of fan surface right there. Now, one thing I've, um, I was questioned about originally when I first started writing this is why did I capitalise the animal species? And that's because, and I did that even when we're on Earth, because it is a tribal thing here. It is not necessarily they are species. These are tribes all across Denanvali, Twanimal tribes. Uh, Kapoor lives on his own in the middle of nowhere, so he's not technically... Or he, well, okay, he does have his little group, but in terms of living in a village with a whole community of people, that's not really his bag, which is, you know, good for Doniston, because he doesn't like people. So that's, you know, maybe they're going to be best friends. Who knows? A stupid thing to say. <laughs> you shouldn't be listening to this if you haven't read the books. Because I will say something that's going to spoil something in the future. Now, when it came to writing a character who saves animals, rescues animals, and giving him this story arc of killing an animal by accident. Now, there's a, a lot of reasons for this, because this is a little boy who does not really feel guilt. He just goes about his business. He does not give a shit who he hurts or whatnot, because he doesn't like humans. It has nothing to do with whether, you know, whether it's Polly or his teachers or whoever. It has everything to do with the fact that they are humans, not animals, and his experience with humans, he just needs to turn on the TV and hear that people are hurting them. So, for someone who has devoted his young life to helping animals, yeah, you'd think, he doesn't like any of us, really. I don't even think he likes me. And I created him, so in fact I know he doesn't like me, because if he was to meet me, he would pummel me. <laughs> so, also, I didn't want it to be something mega, like something awful, like something awful, like a bad tragedy. I wanted it to be an accident, I wanted it to be a small accident, because it's not nice. It's not comfortable writing at all. I mean, I've written, in, in my years of writing, I've written stuff about racial politics and 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 I've written serial killer stuff and even in Toniston there's going to be some torture stuff but it's not that hard you know because I mean it sucks but you know we, we we're not we're not small innocent animals being hurt by people you know they don't have the conscience that we do they can't talk back or scream for help they can try to run but that's about it or bite back Look, every time I go to kill a spider, it sucks, but I don't like them. And they do try to bite me back, and my legs go that way, and my head goes that way. 
Yeah, so what basically what I'm saying is they're not easy scenes to write, and, and I did have to, in another chapter somewhere, I'm not going to say where, there is another scene of someone hurting animals, and again, it was that same thing of, I cannot do something that's awful, like, I cannot just have someone go and stab a fox or something, or shoot a fox. Uh, hunting is one thing. Toniston, uh, the Toniston Tales, as a series, is not anti-hunting. Because hunting to live, like to eat, right? You're stranded out in the middle of the wild and it's snowing and you need to kill a deer to make a coat. Do it and eat. Make a fire, eat, make a coat. And I'm just, I'm going to have Peter coming after me. But I don't care. I really don't care. Because I had chicken pie before and I want to have lamb chops soon. But I might wait till tonight. Anyways, I love animals. But they're also really tasty. So anyways, I... I I have to put that disclaimer that there is not anti-hunting, it is anti-cruelty. It is anti-cruelty to animals, like needless cruelty that people are getting off on, that enjoying. That's why it accentuates when a human kills an animal whilst enjoying the moment. So there's a stigma there. That joy, that happiness in them, that, that love and that positivity is charged, and then this evil act is negativity, and that's charged, and it clashes together and creates this stigma, and that's how Twanimals and Denanvali came to be. And pretty much everything about this uh, this chapter, in terms of plot, in terms of Toniston landing on a um, a bale of hay, being found by Kapoor and taking him inside, and he wakes up, and then we learn about the light holes. I'm pretty certain, like those four main things are exactly how it originally was back in 2006-2007. So even though a lot more changed after this chapter, in terms of Toniston was originally going to go back to Earth in the first couple of chapters that he gets there, but then I decided in my development process, why would the universe allow them an exit door? And I'm talking about humans there, not, not the Twanimals. This is the Twanimals' home. This is their territory. And this is humans' punishment. So why would there be an exit door? And so I had to completely change the story of book one to account for Toniston will not just be popping back and forth at his own leisure. I wasn't terribly sure about including the mention of Frankenstein in this, especially since it mentions it two or three times. Obviously that was an influence along with The Wuzzles, Nightmare Before Christmas, obviously Harry Potter with the Horcruxes and the, the stigma that comes with that. The stigma was inspired by that. Can't think of what else was an influence but there was a couple of things. I know that. Another big influence on this was a lot of the 80s kids movies, Return to Oz, Never Ending Story, what else was there that was kind of dark and gloomy? The Goonies? Was that dark and gloomy? I can't remember. I, I know there was the, um, the f not the Fudge Shuffle, Truffle Shuffle. Is that what it's called? The Truffle Shuffle? You know, I haven't seen that movie in years. Is that what it's called? The Truffle Shuffle? Someone message me and tell me, is it the Truffle Shuffle? I could look it up, but at least then I'll know that that one person is actually listening. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm pretty certain it's the Truffle Shuffle. And um, just like those types of movies, you know, things like Gremlins, I was watching as a very young kid, Rocky Horror Picture Show even I watched as a young kid, and that was kind of dark in a way. I mean, not it's bright and colourful and, and all that, but 
There's a dead body under the dinner table. That's not exactly light and fluffy. I guess I had a lot of twisted influences as a child. My brother and sister used to put on Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween, Friday the 13th, so I grew up on those as well. But in terms of, like, what I'd watch with my friends, a lot of times it would be Gremlins or Neverending Story, definitely Neverending Story. Return to Oz. I had such a crush on Feruza Bulk, and I still do, because she's awesome. Lots of things. Uh, Lost, obviously. Lost is always going to be an influence in anything I do in life. I also apologise for my acting in that. I thought, I'm going to put on my thespian hat in today's episode, and I'm going to emote and bring some gravitas to my performance and obviously I sound like a knob both acting and right now explaining it and that's fine isn't that what this show is for I must admit while I was reading all three chapters actually there is so much foreshadowing that I didn't even realize or maybe I did realize and I maybe I put it all in there deliberately because I know some of it was some of it was planned out in terms of story arc and what's going to be 360 what's going to come back at the end of the book or what's going to flow through all the books but looking there there's just certain things that even just real innocent lines that I read and I just think oh shit damn how did I know how could I possibly know that tiny little thing I mean, I know so much was was planned out and mapped out when I sat down to write them. But in terms of that, like, most of what was planned was book one. And then I had the sort of main plots of book two and three and how they would tie together with book one. But I didn't have a a step-by-step play-by-play for book two and three because that's I wanted to get book one out of the way. Let's see where that story goes because as any writer will tell you, you can plan and plan and plan and plan and plan, but you will sit down and start writing and then something will will get written that you didn't plan and you're like, oh, this is good. Where's this going? And you continue on with it. Uh, And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you find a way to bring it back to where you were or whatnot. Sometimes you just delete it and get rid of it because it was terrible which I do do it a fair bit anyway and actually a lot of what I cut out originally I've put back in for the sake of this full version because I figured well this is the definitive edition isn't it this is the ultimate edition so let's see the scenes that I cut out or thought about but didn't write or started writing but never finished so I, I always make sure to keep all that you know, and I, I write by hand. I always make sure to, to do everything by hand first. You know, brainstorming step-by-steps with the chapters, like what's going to happen next and, and all that. Um, character designs and costumes and maps. There are so many maps on my wall right now, it's not funny. And I do actually need, because they're all Toniston maps, and I'm in the middle of writing another novel at the moment, which is nothing to do with Toniston at all. It's it's a completely different thing. But, you know, there's, and well, I've got a couple of things. I've got like a whole character sheet and my maps there. And, you know, I've got things along the way, but the story is so in my head. It is so in my head, like I, I've been thinking about it for months and months and months. And, you know, writing it down and stuff like that, that I really just, I've got to get around to replacing the Toniston stuff with the stuff from my next novel, which is called Bubbles in the Outback. 
That's a cute little story. I'm not going to say anything because it's a, it's a good little story. I like it. I'm very proud. Every time I write a story, or every time I think of an idea, like just say I, I get an idea for a pirate, like, Arr, me hearties, I'm a pirate. My name is the Bloody Salmon, for example. So then I look up the Bloody Salmon pirate, pirate story, and things like that, and I... I cross-reference and I Google and I try to find things that are similar and I couldn't find anything in this and I did a lot of searching because I did for reasons that I cannot give you spoilers. I really, I don't think there is anything else to, to talk about in this chapter. So, be sure to check out our other shows. At the moment we've got Drag Race Debates, Thrush and Treasure and Blame the Parents and more to come in the future. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Toniston Tales. Gonna love you and leave you. All right, that's it from me tonight. So I shall see you next episode. Take care. you a farmer i told you a farmer i told you a farmer i told you a farmer farmer i told you i'm a farmer i told you a farmer come uh, i told you a farmer 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 a farmer <laughs>